morning. Father, we say we love you. We are so appreciative of the opportunity to come together in this place this morning where we can express our love for you and our worship for you. And Lord, that you would, uh, God, just continue to work in our lives. Uh, build us, Lord, and that God would go from this place this morning different to the way we came in. And we thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? So I'm sounding all right. It's important that I sound good because who knows, I might burst out into song or we, who knows what could happen. So, hey, listen, I really do love, the, uh, love the, uh, the singing here this morning. I really did. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to say thank you to uh, Sue. Where, where did Sue disappear to? Oh, right there. Okay. Uh, thanks, Sue, for leading us in all of your music team. So, so good. Made me feel very much at home. We love music at home and obviously you guys love... Hello, Robin. And uh, all you guys love music as well. So, 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 so good. And um, I'm very, very grateful to be uh, invited to come and be with you this morning. And so thank you, Pastor Neville and Sue, for, uh, for inviting me. And just meeting up with Don and Denise over there. And I think most of you don't know, but uh, I have known, I, I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the service here, just briefly, that I've known Neville since he was about 11 years of age. And uh, so we go back a long, 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 long way. And, uh, but, and so if you really want to know what Neville's like, talk to me. I know what Neville's like. But I'll tell you what, uh, all seriousness, so you are very, very blessed as a church to have Pastor Neville and Sue as your pastors. Uh, you really are. And uh, I get around a little bit and see different churches and, and uh, just how they operate and how they think. And you really, you guys have got great people in Neville and Sue. And um, uh, as I said, I've known, I've known Sue for, well, how long have I known you for, Sue, since you, you were 17? That's not very long ago, is it? <laughs> I've known them both for a long, long time and they are real people of integrity and uh, you, you are very, very blessed to have people of this calibre pastoring this church. And uh, so I commend them to you. And so thank you for inviting us here, Neville and Sue, and great to catch up with Don and Denise. Uh, I, uh, I was reminded by Don, I first bumped into him at a, at a, a district, pastor's district day at Evans Head, <laughs> 150 years ago, <laughs> so it was absolutely amazing. And, uh, but I'll tell you, another great couple you've got in your church. Yeah. Pastors over there, fantastic. Don is actually the longest serving in the, in the ACC, formerly AOG. Uh, they had a, a credentialing process and uh, you, you applied for your credential and you became a probationary minister. You got a probationary minister's certificate and it meant you're on probation. And uh, Don over there had his probationary minister certificate, or PMC, for, um, for how long, Don? Is that long he's forgotten? But he was, he, had, he was on probation as a pastor longer than any other pastor in our movement in Australia's history. That's true. That is true. No one has ever been on probation as long as him. And he's proved himself over all those years. So he's obviously a very good pastor. Yes. So, 
and great to see Naomi and Robin there and, uh, and Laurie, Laurie Hart, another great pastor. You guys are blessed. Where's Juliet? Oh, she's out doing children's church. But uh, you're really blessed with some great leaders here in your church and you should pray for them, pray for them every day and thank God for them. And uh, okay, so Neville asked me to come and to share with you this morning and uh, when I get invited to come to a church, I usually say to the pastor, I say, well, what, what are you preaching on? What would you like me to preach on? And uh, Neville told me that he's been doing a series here and I noticed on your screen up there, motions for devotions. And well, that's a good classy catchy phrase, isn't it? And, uh, but he's been talking about worship and different aspects of worship. And so, um, and so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about worship this morning. And uh, I asked uh, Sue if we could sing that song. Um, I'm coming back to a heart of worship. Uh, I was told by Sue last night that a fellow called Matt Redman uh, wrote that song. And, uh, and I, I think he's got some great insight into worship, the very fact the lyrics of that song tell me that he really understands uh, what worship is, perhaps more than most uh, believers in the world today. I love when he says, I'm coming back to a heart of worship. And, uh, and, then, he, and then he said, I don't know if we can get the words up there again, but I've, I've got a couple of them written down here. He said, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm coming back to a heart of worship and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It is all about you. And then he says, in the lyrics, in the song, he says, and I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it. And I got, you know, when Neville said, I'm doing worship, uh, talk on worship, I had that song going through my mind over and over again because I love that song. It's one of my favourites. And, uh, and, and I kept coming back to this line, and I'm sorry, Lord, for what I've made it. And I thought we might think about that a little bit this morning is that what, what have we made worship to be in, in our culture? Uh, we work over in India as Neville and Sue, they and your church does a lot in the, uh, in the area of Turkey and among Muslim people. We do a lot of work among Hindu people and Muslim people in northern India. And different cultures have different approaches to the way they do things and that includes churches as well. But I think one thing about worship is fairly common right around the world is that what have we made it to be? And you know what I think? I think looking at churches and, and, and the language that is used in churches, I think what Matt Redman was referring to when he's saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what we've made it, as that we've really made it a song. Is that worship is a song. Uh, worship is singing a song that has us feeling good about how we feel. Uh, worship is like singing a song that stirs our soul, that stirs our emotions, and then we walk out of church, uh, probably not this church, uh, but many churches where people will walk out of church and say, wow, wasn't the worship great this morning? Didn't we have a great time of worship? And I think that we narrow it right down to thinking, as soon as the hands come down and the worship leader, now even that language, uh, the worship team and I've got to, after thinking about this and preparing this, I've got to change my language a little bit as well. We say, could the worship team uh, come or could the worship leader lead us? And so immediately we think, okay, so Sue this morning is the one who is going to cause us to worship. 
by lifting our hands and singing songs and we think that was so wonderful, I felt so good and we walk out of church and say the worship was great. Matt Redmond says, he says, Lord, I'm sorry for what we've made it. Because you see, worship extends way beyond the songs that we sing and the half hour or the hour or so that we sing them. Way, way beyond that. It's interesting, you know, uh, we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning. Um, I asked, I asked uh, um, Don over here, almost forgot your name, Don <laughs> over there, I said, how long does Neville normally preach for? And he said, oh, about two hours. And I thought, oh, great, that gives me plenty of time and I can relax because we're a little bit tighter in our church at home, so I feel quite encouraged by that. Is that um, we'll look at a few scriptures. But, you know, don't go here, right, we'll look at it later on. But in Genesis chapter 22, you get one of the, one of the first references to worship. And it's where um, Abraham, is that he's going up Mount Moriah there with his son Isaac. I'm sure most of you know the story. How many of you know what he was going up there for was to sacrifice his son? Like in his mind, he was thinking that's what he had to do at that time. And as he's going up the mountain, he turns to his servant and he says, I want you to wait here. I want you guys, a couple of guys, I want you to wait there because the lad and I, or my son and I, we're going up the mountain to worship. That's what he said. We're going up the mountain to worship. Now, how many of you know there was no guitars, synthesizers, drums or worship leaders on that mountain that day? There was no music on that mountain that day. And I think that we sometimes have got a lot of confusion going on about what real worship is. Uh, what, what does it take to worship God? And so this morning, I thought I might talk to you a little bit about what worship is, the way I understand scripture. What is worship? Or if you're writing down notes, you could say the title of my message. Are you recording these messages, by the way? You are. Okay, well, I'll be more careful. Um, is that you could write down the title um, worship dash it's more than a song that's what we'll call it this morning and so if you'd like to go in your bible to Acts chapter 13 let's start there we'll have a look at a scripture and then we're going to jump over to a few other scriptures here this morning so in Acts chapter 13 and let's read it just from verse 1 I'll wait a moment while you turn how many of you bring your bible to, to church can you wave your Bible around, whether it be electronic or paper? Look at that. Fantastic. I'm still a bit old-fashioned. I still stick to my old, my old paper Bible here. Oh, I do have a Bible on my phone, by the way. I have quite a few on my phone. But I like to preach from a paper Bible. I guess because there's no batteries in that. And it could be risky, couldn't I? I always tell these guys using iPads, and the man, you're taking a risk. Fair dinkum. They're like... With your notes and so on, the electronic stuff, batteries go flat. You know. Anyway, are you there yet? Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers. Uh, there was Barnabas, there was Simeon who was called Nigea, uh, Lucius of Cyrene and Manaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And then in verse 2 it says, and while they were, and I've underlined this in the Bible, my Bible, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. 
while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. That was one of my first. My mother bought me a living Bible. It was my very first Bible. The second Bible I ever owned was a New American Standard Bible, and I still use it a great deal to this very day. Love that translation. Very accurate translation. And it says here, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. How many of you have got a New American Standard Bible here this morning? Thank you. How many of you have got a, uh, an American Standard Bible? You're a fair income Yankee, aren't you? Well, both. Okay. How many of you have got a King James Bible? <laughs> the same one. <laughs> Love it. How many of you have got a King James? How many have got a new King James Bible? How many have got a Young's Literal Translation? Thought that'll get you. How about a Holman's Christian Bible? Holman's Christian Standard Bible? The what? No, no, we're getting there. We're getting there. Don't worry, Neville. I know you use the ESV. Not a, it's not a bad translation. It's all right. We're touching on the good translations right now. So what about the Derby translation? You've got a Derby translation too. That's awesome. You'll find that in every one of those translations, as you'll find it is worded as I have just read, read right here. It says, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting... Now, how many of you got an ESV? <laughs> how many of you got an NIV, an NLT, an AMP? That's an amplified. <laughs> have you got that? Okay, you'll find in those translations and in the more the contemporary English version of the Bible and uh, the new century version of the Bible, you'll find in all of the more modern translations it also translates the same Greek word as worship. And so, and both are equally valid is that the Greek word that the translators have taken and put in our Bibles, various translations of the Bible, is that they're undecided or, or, or determined rather, is that they would use either the word ministry or ministering, ministering or worshipping the Lord because it's the same word. And so this morning I want to show you, if we can, is that how ministering to the Lord is worship. And we just read that here. Ministering to the Lord is worship, or if you want to reverse it around a little bit, let's say that worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lord is ministering to Him. Either way, so when we look at that, as we can see that, and consider that, we can see that um, that narrows worship down a little bit. It's ministering to the Lord, and the Bible actually indicates to us. And uh, I'm going to see how this goes. I, I, if this goes well here this morning, I'm going to preach it in coughs. If it doesn't, I won't. If you get up and walk out, I figure, well, maybe I better not preach it in coughs. But um, the Bible indicates is that there aren't any, many rather, I'll rephrase that, there aren't many genuine um, worshippers or people who minister to the Lord. There's not a lot. Now, I've got a scripture for you. So, like, we're narrowing this down now. Like, in other words, real worship is something that is more than a song. Because, you see, tens of thousands. Go to the Hillsong Conference and you get 22-odd thousand people with their hands raised worshipping the Lord, as we call it. So, that, that, look at the worship and it's so outstanding. But when you look at the Bible, the Bible actually indicates... But man, it's not as common as that. 
Let's have a look at a scripture. Um, I'll just read it to you to save a little bit of time. John chapter 4 verse 23 and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible and it says, A time will come, Jesus, Jesus talking to the woman at the well and they're talking about worship and he says, A time will come, however, indeed it is already here when, and the Amplified Bible says, the true, genuine worshippers will worship or minister to the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking just such people as these as his worshippers or as his ministers. And I want to put it to you this morning, is if God the Father, who's got more than 20-20 vision, I mean, he, he, he can see real clear, is that if he's got to actually be seeking out people who are genuine, true worshippers, I want to put to you, it's a lot more than just a whole gathering of people standing in a, in, in a service and singing songs. Because that's not hard to find at all. But Jesus here is saying that God has actually got to seek out people who are genuine, who are true worshippers. And when I read that, that tells me there can't be a lot about. Must be a limited number of worshippers about. Now you've gone real quiet on me. I knew you would when I made that statement. And so we're going to look at it a little bit deeper here now. We we'll say, okay, let's, let's just reinforce that or dig that verse a little bit deeper. So go to the book of Ezekiel, if you will. Let's go to the Old Testament. Jump over to Ezekiel. We're going to come, come back to the New Testament shortly. But let's have a look at a very, very challenging scripture here in chapter 44, Ezekiel chapter 44. And uh, as I said, I thought I'd try all this out on you first and we'll see how it goes. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 44. And I'm just waiting for you to turn there because it's very important that you follow me. Ezekiel chapter 44 and reading from verse 4 and again I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Uh, chapter 44 verse 4. Then verse 4, then he, that is God, God brought me, that is Ezekiel, by the way of the north gate to the front of the house. Now what I'm going to read this morning here in this uh, scripture it's talking about the house of God. Now, the New Testament church is known as the house of God, one of the names. So we're the house of God. Okay. Old Testament, he's talking about the house, the house of God. And, and God said to Ezekiel, and I, uh, I'll read that again. Then he brought me by the way of Northgate to the front of the house. We're talking about God's house. And I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So we're talking about God's house. And I fell on my face. And the Lord said to me, Son of man, mark well, see with your eyes and hear with your ears all that I say to you concerning all the statutes of the house of the Lord and concerning all its laws and mark well the existence of the house with all exits and sanctuary and the sanctuaries. So obviously he's saying to Ezekiel, I want you to really check it out. I want you to, you know, I want you to look at the house. And then in verse 6, now get this, then God says, and you shall say to the people of the house, I want you now to talk to the people of the house, then have a look at it in verse 6. I don't know what your Bible says, but he says, the rebellious ones. I want you to talk to the people of the house, and I've underlined that in my Bible, the rebellious ones. Now, how many of you know is that there can be rebellious people in the house? Now, not in this house, of course. I mean, I know that. Uh, but uh, generally, uh, that, that there are people in the house that God looks at and says they're the rebellious ones. Now, 
I'm not talking about, you know, rebellious as in people who get up and think, oh, that's wrong and throw chairs at Neville while he's preaching and walk out. I don't mean that sort of level of rebellion. But I'm talking about people who, they're nice people. They, they come to church, they, they actively involve in the service and uh, they, they clap Nev when he's preaching and they lift their hands when Sue's leading songs and, uh, and uh, you know, and, and they're great people. But then maybe, just maybe, maybe Neville and Sue as your senior pastors might make a decision that, look, we need to move the church in this direction a little bit and we're going to do this. And, and then maybe there are people at times who might say, oh, I don't agree with that. Oh, I don't think that's right. I, you know, I, 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 don't, I, I, I disagree with that and actually resist or stand against God's anointed in the way they might want to lead. Now, of course, that doesn't happen here. I'm just saying that as it, in, in this story here, this reading, is that God is saying to Ezekiel, I want you to talk to the people of the house, the rebellious ones. And then he goes on in verse 6. It says, um, in the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, enough of all your abominations. This is what he wants Ezekiel to say to the people in the house. He's saying the rebellious one, enough of you. Now, how many of you know what abominations are now? That's a big word. But, you know, Proverbs chapter 6 tells us a little bit of what God calls abominations, and that could be like a lying tongue. It uh, could be like a, um, a sowing of discord. That's an abomination. It could be any number of things. It could be uh, devising wicked plans. That's what Proverbs 6 tells us. And then he goes on, have a look here. I think this is very inspiring. I know it gets better. It gets better. <laughs> Uh, verse 7, and then he, he says, and when you brought in foreigners, this is Ezekiel now talking to people of the house, when you, the people of the house, brought in foreigners, uncircumcised in heart, uncircumcised in flesh, to be in my sanctuary, to profane it, and even my house, when you offered, in other words, when you actively engaged in ministry, um, uh, you, you, you offered my food and fat and the blood, for they made my covenant void, and this is in addition to all your other abominations. In other words, if we can spiritualise that a little bit, is that what the people of the house are bringing in people who weren't of God's way and allowing them to be involved in ministry or compromising the values that God wanted to apply in the house. And so now you've got people in the house who could be rebellious, people in the house who could be lying, people in the house who could be uh, <coughs> sowing discord, people in the house who are compromising in order to satisfy others, uh, compromise the standards that God holds to. In verse, in verse 8, you have not kept charge of my holy things. This is Ezekiel now continuing to talk to the people of the house. God saying, talk to the people of the house regarding these things. Verse 8, and you have not kept charge of my holy things. Uh, you yourselves but, uh, yourselves, but you have set foreigners to keep charge of my sanctuary. In other words... God's saying, I told you I wanted you to do certain things, but you didn't do it. You just got other people to do it who weren't of the standard or the value that I wanted them to, to do it at. In other words, you weren't faithful. And so, you know, in the house, gee, you're gone quiet. In, they're normally this quiet when you preach, Nev. No? No? Oh, they throw things at you, right. Well, no one's thrown in it yet. <laughs> but in the house, in this reading... As we can see there that, okay, so you've got people who are rebellious, people who uh, commit abominations, people who are compromising, people who are unfaithful. Like in other words, they say, oh, yeah, I'll be there, Nev, but then don't turn up. Oh, yeah, no, I can do that. I'll fix all that up for you, but they don't. A anyway, we'll just move on. Um, verse 10, 
but the Levites who went far away from me, when Israel went astray, who went astray from me after their idols, shall bear the punishment for their iniquity. Verse 10 tells me that there can be people in the house who are not near God at all, <laughs> is that they can be far away from God and caught up in idolatry, or in other words, have other things in their life that are far more valuable to them than God is. Okay, so there's some really inspiring verses. But verse 11, the very next verse, is an amazing verse. Like, this is really out there. Have a look at verse 11. It starts in my Bible with the word yet. Everybody say yet. 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 They, that is speaking of all of the people we've just talked about here, yet they shall be ministers in my house, yet they shall be ministers in my house. And in fact, it goes on and says, having oversight. Now get this, and this is real. I mean, man, I have been pastoring for 32 years. I have been a Christian for 39 years. Now get this, I have seen people in God's house ministering who are a long way from God. I, I remember a pastor pastoring in our movement for years, committing adultery week after week with two women in his church, married guy, kids, getting up, preaching week after week, running his church, and the guy was a long way from God. And yet God still allowed him to stand behind the pulpit and minister and have oversight in the house. You see, what I'm saying to you this morning is that people can come to church, we can raise our hands, we can sing the songs, we can have people up here being the worship leader. Uh, we can have the children's teachers and leaders out the back there. We can have the musicians all ministering to us. We can have people on the door ministering a kind word and a handshake as they walk in the door. We can have people actively engaged in all levels of ministry in the house and yet be people who are a long way from God. That's what I've discovered. It goes on here, look, it goes on in verse 11, that they, uh, they shall be ministers in my house, having oversight at the gates of the house and ministering in the house. They shall slaughter the burnt offering. So, they, they, you know, they're going to do the acts of service, uh, the slaughter the burnt offering and, and sacrifice for the people and, and, and they shall stand before them. I underline that word them. They shall stand before them. That is the rest of the congregation is that they'll stand before them like the song leader, the musicians, the preacher, the children's leaders, the person on the door. They can stand before them and minister to them. Minister to them. Then if you jump down to verse 14 and it says, and I will appoint them. This is again the people mentioned in verse 6 to 10. I will appoint them to keep charge of the house of all its service and of all that shall be done in it. Now I'm saying to you this morning, we're talking about worship and we're talking about worship is ministry to God. We can come to church and the church can have people in it who are ministering to people, people receiving ministry from people. And ministering to people, but it's not worship. Because ministry is ministering to God. It's not ministering to people. Well, I'll, re I'll, I'll rephrase that. I'll, we're going to get a little bit further into that a bit further here in a moment. I'll rephrase that. But look, look at what it says here. 
In verse 13, this is one thing they cannot do. This is the one thing. They can, they can do all of that. They can lead the singing. They can greet at the door. They can preach. They can do all of the operations that take place within the life of a church service. But in verse 13, it says here, verse 13, it says, but they shall not come, God speaking, but they shall not come near to me to serve as a priest to me. They can do all of that, but they can't come and serve me. And if you look at, uh, if you look at verse 15 here, this is the limited number of people now, because remember we looked earlier, God's got to seek out worshippers. And so here in 15, we see that God has identified a limited number within this, this gathering of people. And he says here, he says, But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary, when the sons of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me. And they shall stand before me to offer me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary. They shall come near to my table to minister to me and keep my charge. Let me read again out of the, um, out of the message translation here. In the message translation it says, uh, Only they, verse 15 and 16, Only they will carry out the priestly work of offering the solemn sacrifice of worship. Only they can carry out the priestly work of offering the solemn sacrifice of worship. They're the only ones permitted to enter my sanctuary. They're the only ones to approach my table and serve me. Now, can I just say to you this morning, are we going all right? I've only noticed this one person's walked out. That's pretty good. Um, can, can I just say that um, I, I, I believe that the church, churches, is made up basically of two categories of people, two, two, two lots of people. One category is made up of people who come to church, go through all the functions of church, in, actively engage in church, actually be a part of ministering to people. And people receive ministry from people. So you've got that category, people who minister to people and people who receive ministry from people. But then you've got another category of people and that is a category of people who minister to people and receive ministry from people but also then move beyond that to minister to God. Does that make sense? They move beyond that to minister to God. Now, as I said, as the Bible makes it clear that God's got to seek out for these kinds of people. For true worship. Now, we're not talking about our salvation issue here. The, the topic is not salvation. Our salvation is found in Christ. And thank God for his grace. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about worship. And so let's go now to the New Testament and let's look at another scripture where I believe is one of the only scriptures that I could think of. When I'm thinking about this and thinking this through, I mean, where in the Bible do we see God being ministered to by people, by his people. And the only place I could think of, I mean, there's, there's, there's a few references, but the only place I could think of is in, in Luke chapter 7, and where you had this sinful woman coming and ministering to Jesus' need. And so how about we go there? Luke chapter 7, 
Is everybody normally this quiet, Nev? It's pretty scary up here, you know, looking at all you. No, no, no one's smiling at me or anything. Good, thank you. Okay, so Luke chapter 7. Let's have a look at this. Uh, let's read from verse, because I, I believe this is one of the only passages of scripture I can find anyway, um, where a person is actually ministering to Jesus. And so we see there in verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, requesting that invited Jesus to come have a meal. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his, his feet, or your Bible might say wash his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. Let's just leave it there for a moment. We'll, we'll look at further, uh, verses further on in a moment. Here's a story where uh, this woman, she hears that Jesus is at this certain Pharisee's house and so she pretty well invites herself. She certainly wasn't invited by the Pharisee, that's for sure. So she invites herself and she turns up. And she turns up for the purpose of ministering to Jesus. And in this story here, I believe we see what true worship, genuine worship involves in this story here. And here they are. You ready? I'm going to go through them quick and then we'll look at then the results of true worship. What, what happens when we truly worship God? But here they are. Number one is it involves true worship, involves true repentance. Now, this woman here is weeping. We notice that in verse 38. She's weeping. And uh, how many have ever heard of tears of repentance? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I think, makes reference to tears of repentance. Why do you think she was weeping, I ask myself? I think, well, why, why was she weeping? Well, I reckon she was weeping because she's found herself in the presence of God Almighty. She's found herself in the presence of Jesus. Come on. And she's a sinner. I mean, she's, she's, she's a rogue. I mean, she's got a bad reputation and suddenly she finds herself right here with Jesus and she's starting to burst into tears. I would say it's because she's deeply sorry for the kind of life that she'd been living. I would say that when a person genuinely gets into the presence of God, man, it's pretty hard to stay a sinner. It's pretty hard to live with the, the, the lifestyle that one's living with and I, I believe that she was sorry and that she was sorry to the point of tears. And so to go through these quickly, I would suggest then that letting go of the old life, making decisions, say, God, I want, to, I want a heart decision. Lord, I want to live your way. God, help me. Lord, to get rid of that addiction or that habit or that, that, that lifestyle that I'm living. Lord, would you do something? Holy Spirit, strengthen me, help me to move on from my sinful lifestyle because, Lord, I want to live a life that's pleasing to you. Now, I believe that, that, in, that that's, that's an act of worship, that that's a heart. Remember, Rat Medman said, take us back to the heart of worship. Worship is something that's got, it's a heart thing. And so, God, give me the heart that, Lord, can live a life that is pleasing, that is pleasing to you. Psalm, Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? That's the question and the answer is only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
So who can really come near to God? Who can actively engage in true worship but people who've got a genuine heart to say, Lord, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm doing things wrong at home with my wife. I'm, I'm beating her up and God, I don't want to. That's just a bad illustration there, right there. That doesn't apply here, of course. But Lord, I'm living a lifestyle that's not right and God, I want to get out of that. That's the very first thing that worship involves. If you can't get past that, you can't worship. The second thing, it involves service. Now, when I read this in verse 38, it's pretty obvious to me is that she's carrying out an act of service. In verse 38, we see there that she's washing his feet with the tears that she's weeping with. She's washing his feet. The question is, why was she washing his feet? Well, to me, it's pretty obvious. is because his feet were dirty. And the reason his feet were dirty is because no one washed them. Now, the custom of the day, as I'm sure many of you would be aware, is that back then in Bible days, in that culture, is that people, they wore sandals and they walked around on dusty, dirty roads. They didn't have tarred roads like we've got today. And they'd rock up to someone's house as a guest and immediately the owner of the house would then provide the lowest of low servants with a bowl of water to wash the guest's feet as they would walk into the house. So they got clean feet. And yet in this instance, no one washed his feet. Look at verse 44. Have a look here in verse 44. Uh, and turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon. Simon was the name of the Pharisee who owned the house, who invited him. And Jesus said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. In other words, you didn't provide anybody, any servant, to wash my feet. And so this woman saw a need and she stooped down to take the lowest role as the lowest of low servants to wash the Lord Jesus' feet. It's interesting if you jump... Well, we won't jump back there right now because you haven't got a Lexham English Bible. Excuse me, madam. Do you have a Lexham English Bible? It seems you've got every other translation there. Probably you have. Very good. You're a very studious Bible student. The Lexham English Bible says this in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, with most other translations, either translate as they were worshipping the Lord and fasting or as they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. This Bible says while they were serving the Lord and fasting. The, uh, the World English Bible, or the Web, the W-E-B, it says, as they served the Lord and fasted. Can you see that service is an act of worship? And she was here seeing as that there was a need in the house, and so she met the need. Now, she, she, she didn't wait to be asked to serve. She didn't walk in and just stand there and look around and just you know, wait. She didn't wait for recognition to be served. In fact, you look in verse 38 here, is that she was, um, she was standing behind Jesus. I mean, she wasn't standing out the front. There was no prominent role for her, and yet she serves. She, she wasn't waiting for some kind of reward for service. In fact, when we look at the story, and we will in a moment, is it actually cost her to serve. It cost her. There was no recognition. There was no reward. It was a low, and yet she put her hand up and said, I see a need. 
and I'm going to serve. And so can I say to you this morning is that the number one thing that, servant, that, that worship involves is a repentant heart and the second thing is then have a heart to serve, to see a need and to see, man, the, 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 the driveway out there is filthy. I think I might get, it's not this morning because someone served and someone cleaned it. But to have a heart to serve, that serving is an act of worship. How are we going? The the next thing I see here is that worship involves not hiding our love for Jesus. Having an open demonstrative love for Jesus. In verse 38, we read there that she kissed him. Now, in verse 47, it tells us why she kissed him. Have a look. Because she's wiping his hair with a with, with, wiping his feet with her hair, she's not trying to dry his feet with her kisses, using her hair for that. In verse forty-seven, it tells us why she kissed him, and for this reason, verse forty-seven, I say to you, Jesus says, he says, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much, but he was forgiven little. Loves little. He's talking to Simon there in that instance, and he's saying to Simon, Simon. This woman is kissing me because she loves me much and she loves me so much as she doesn't care who knows she loves me that much. Because if you look in verse, uh, what is it, verse 45, it's a great reading this. In verse 45, he says to Simon again, he says, you gave me no kiss. You didn't give me any kiss at all. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Now here she is, as she's down at the feet of Jesus, he's going... (laughs) Kissing, kiss, 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 kissing the feet of Jesus. And the people, I mean, you imagine the scene. I mean, here's a house of Pharisees. I mean, the house is full of the Pharisees' guests. Very righteous sort of people. And here is this woman of ill repute down kissing the feet of Jesus. Couldn't you imagine what was going through their minds? I mean, have a look at verse 39. I'll tell you what's going through their minds. In verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw her, what, kissing his feet, and weeping and all the other things here, he thinks to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know know who and what sort of person this woman is who was touching him and she is a sinner. I'm going to touch on that a little bit in a moment because I've got two hours to preach here this morning. So I'm going to come back to that in, in a few minutes here. But what I'm saying is this, is that she loved Jesus that much. She did not care what the crowd thought. She didn't care. But you see, the crowd were thinking and she would have known they were thinking, is that, oh, they think I'm back to my prostitution. I don't care what they think. I just want to love Jesus. How many of you are in love with someone? That's what I figured. Boy, not many of you, eh? <laughs> How many of you are married? Come on, don't be embarrassed about that. How many of you got children? How many of you got mums and dads? Do you love them? How many of you are going out with someone? Young people here, going and got a boyfriend, girlfriend. You two married? You two married? You are? Oh, okay. You two married? Are you good friends? Do you go out together? Yeah. Are you boyfriend, girlfriend? No. Why not? <laughs> it's not a bad looking bloke. 
She's a nice looking girl. What's wrong with you? Bad income. Are you two married? Okay. You know what I found over the years? I've been, I've been married for 40, 44 years, I think I've been married. Unbelievable. Young bloke as young as me, hey, 44 years. But anyway, and I found over the years that when you really love someone, it's not hard for other people to tell. What do you reckon? I mean, don't people who love one another, don't they occasionally give one another a hug? Isn't that right? Don't they, don't they, don't they uh, do things for one another? Doesn't their language show you that they love one another? Sweetheart, darling, honey, you know, language. Uh, doesn't their, their activities or, or, you know, they'll take them out, they'll go play. I mean, it's not hard to tell whether they're going to hold hands, they're going to walk down the road together. I mean, here's this husband, he's got his hand on his wife's leg there. and I mean, you, you can tell they're together. I mean, it's not hard to tell. And so what I'm saying to you is what does true worship involve? It involves living a life that conveys to people in the world around about us that, man, I love Jesus. And you can see it. You can tell it. Man, I I, you can tell it by my language. You know, the Bible talks about a secret disciple. Man, I'm not a secret. You can't. If I'm in love with my wife, you're not, the world knows I love my wife. They can see it whether I'm in church or outside of church or whether I'm in India or wherever I might be. She belongs to me. I belong to her. And it's obvious and you know what worship involves? Worship involves a lifestyle that conveys to people whether the checkout chick at Woolworths or where you work or wherever you might be that, man, I'm a lover of Jesus. And I don't care what you say, but I'm never going to use his name in, 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 uh, in a bad way. And, I'm, and I'm, going to, I'm going to live at this standard because I love Jesus and I want to please him. And, he, and, and, and that, that's worship. That's what worship involves. But worship involves repentance. Worship involves, what have we looked at? Worship involves a, a, a serving heart, an ability to, to see something that needs to be done and do it. Worship involves an unashamed love for Jesus. And I got, I got quite a few. Worship involves humility. What's humility? I mean, this whole scene speaks of humility. And humility basically is simply doing what God tells us to do. That's, that's, you know, people say, oh, I'm very humble. I'm very humble because I walk with my head down and, uh, you know, and I don't, you know, I don't put myself forward. I'm a really humble person and I'll, I'll you know, I, I don't want to be. That's not humility. That's dumb. Okay, that's not humility. Listen, humility, let me, look, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Jesus humbled himself. By being obedient. He humbled himself by being obedient. And I, I, I love um, this scripture. Um, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. This is the funniest scripture in the whole Bible. If you've got a sense of humor, you'll laugh at this. Is that Moses, it says here, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. And here's the joke, is that Moses wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> How weird is that one, eh? I am the most humble man on the face of the earth and I'm going to write it down for everybody to know it. And you think, man, what a guy, an arrogant guy, full of pride. In fact, the, uh, the sons of Korah, over in, I think it's Numbers 16, I think it is, is that they actually stand back accusing Moses for putting himself up. Who do you think you are telling us what we should do? And yet the Bible says, God said to Moses, you write down and say, you're the most humble person on the face of the earth. 
True humility is simply being obedient to God. And if you're called to lead, then you better lead well because that's being obedient to God. If you're called to sweep the floor, then you sweep the floor well. Whatever you're called to do, if you're called to... to, 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 to I, I, um, I got a Burmese family living in our house right now and my wife's gone overseas and this, this family, they're in our church, got no money, they had to move out of where they are and, um, and they had nowhere to live and here I am, I'm thinking my wife's gone away for two and a half weeks, I'm going to have a great time, I'm just going to be able to go home of a night, flick on the TV, put my feet up, relax, not talk to anybody because I'm not a real people person and, uh, and I think this is great and then I hear that this family have got to get out of where they are and they've got nowhere to move and I feel the, the conviction, the word of the Holy Spirit, take them into your house and I'm thinking, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I don't really, I mean, true story, I don't want to do that. They don't like dogs, I've got, do- got a dog. They don't like cats, I've got a cat. Uh, two cats, actually. And, um, and I'm thinking, man, I don't want to do this. I just want to have some time on my own and stronger conviction. I want you to take them into your house and look after them. And so I did. Now, you could say I'm boasting. No, I'm not boasting, I'm humble. Because, you see, true humility is that you will do what God tells you to do even when it's not convenient. That's a whole different message. And that's, that's one of the greatest reasons why people don't obey God, because it's not convenient. But that's a different story. Okay, uh, so where are we? Finally, and I've got to finish up because I've gone almost for an hour and a half. No, I haven't. <laughs> How am I going, Don? <laughs> when do you finish normally? No, truly, about now, do you? Oh, no, do you? Really? I'm only halfway through. <laughs> I, I bought my longest message. I thought, good. <laughs> can, I, can I just, um, I'll, try and, I'll try and finish by, I'll try by 11.30, but I don't think I can. But anyway, okay, I'll give you the last one though, and then we'll just touch on what worship does. Okay, so worship involves, the, the, the fifth thing that worship involves is giving. Yeah, I know, I know. You thought that, you know, you knew I was going to go here. <laughs> but it does. It involves giving. In verse 38, here she is. She brings a long, uh, an, an alabaster vial of, or verse 37, an alabaster vial of perfume. Now, that, that vial of perfume, according to the commentaries I've read, was a pretty valuable vial of perfume. In fact, some suggest it was equivalent to a whole year's wage. Now, I want to say this to you because we are out of time and I want to finish up. But did you know that in Bible times, whenever you see an act of worship, true worship, is it always, always involves an act of giving. You do not, it's like they're integrated. Worship and giving go together like love and marriage. Goes together like a horse and carriage. Love and marriage. Goes together like a horse and carriage. Some things in life that just go together. This goes with that at uh, Suzanne's, you know. There's things that just go together. And I'll tell you, one thing that goes with worship and cannot be separated from worship is giving. I made reference to Abraham a moment ago going up that mountain there with his son Isaac. He says to his servant, we're going up there to what? To worship. And in Abraham's mind... He's thinking, I'm going up there to give my son. You see, worship will always involve an act of giving. 
You look all the way through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, it is always an act of giving that accompanies true worship. Uh, in in um, Matthew chapter 2 and in verse 11, you've got the story there of the wise men who come along and the birth of Jesus. What did they do? They came into that stable and they bowed down to worship by doing what? By giving, by bringing along a valuable gift and they gave and that was their act of worship and you look all the way through the Bible you go to Revelations chapter 4 verse 10 and you've got there the 24 elders even in heaven is that they're bowing down and they're worshipping the Lord casting their crowns at his feet an act of giving in, in, in John chapter 4 and verse 23 there are that story in John chapter 4 you've got the, 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 the woman at the well and, and, and it's, it's an amazing story on worship it's a great teaching on the act of worship. And you know how that teaching where Jesus is talking to the woman, you know the very, very first word that was spoken where Jesus starts to introduce about where you worship, how you worship, the heart of worship, the very first word that he spoke in that teaching was give. It starts with give. And he said, give me a drink. In other words, I want you to minister to me by giving me something. You give me a drink. And I'll tell you now, that's a story that goes right off into another sermon. You think about Matthew 25. And you think about there, we think, well, how do we give Jesus a drink now? Because, you see, we're talking, we're talking the Bible is relevant for us today. How do we give drink, a drink to Jesus today? Well, Matthew 25 tells us, you see, someone who's thirsty. You don't throw water up in the air as you see someone who's thirsty. How do you minister to Jesus today? You minister to the needs of people. You bring a family into your home who's got nowhere to live. Is it you give a meal to someone who hasn't got a meal to eat? Is it you go to your neighbour or to the nations of the world? Man, there's a whole missions message on this. I can tell you true worship involves meeting the needs of people. That's worship. Now look, can you understand why then the Bible says that God looks down at a heaven and he doesn't find many worshippers? Can you understand that? Because worship involves true repentance. Worship involves true servanthood. Worship involves a heart that will openly express its love for Jesus. Worship involves a genuine obedience, even to the little things and the big things to God. Worship involves a heart to give. Do you know that when you do your offering here on a Sunday morning, I personally believe that is a greater act of worship than you raising your hands in song. And you see, this is why the Bible says true worship's hard to find. But what happens when it is found? Okay, let me just finish now with this. This is what happens when true worship is found. Is the worshipper... And I've touched on this so real quick. The worshipper receives criticism. Isn't that good? I am trying to lift this message a little bit. The true worshipper receives criticism. In verse 39, we saw the Pharisee criticising her for her act of ministering to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, true worship will invoke in the non-worshipper a critical attitude. And they'll start to criticise the true worshipper. They'll look at them, trying to, you know, look at them. 
look, looking like they're all holy or look at, look at them. You're, you're doing out there trying to you know, earn some points or whatever. It will result in criticism. But on the other hand, this is what true worship will result in. In verse 39, come back to verse 39. We see there that while he was reclining, uh, rather, first, that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, critical, 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 critical. And he would know, and, and he, he, he thinks he knows more than Jesus. He's a weird guy. Anyway, know who and what sort of person this woman is. And I've underlined this word, touching him. Now, true worship has us touching Jesus. Now, this house was filled with people and there was only one person in the house who touched Jesus. Can you see how true worship is not that readily found? There was only one person who touched Jesus. And, you know, I get frustrated sometimes. I don't know whether you have it up here, but we have people down there that, that, that are super Spiro sort of people and, and uh, I could become, I won't, I, I won't say it. But people who, they'll sing some songs and turn the lights down dim and have a wonderful emotional time soaking in God and four hours, five hours, and oh, wasn't God, the, we, we touched heaven. They touched nothing. You don't touch God like that. I mean, that's good. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. If you want to sit in a room where the lights turn dim and lovely sounds of music, that's cool. That's not evil. That's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's not going to get you any closer to God. Is that a right to say that? <clears throat> the second thing that worship does, so it has you touching Jesus. And what an amazing thing to live your life being able to touch God himself. And then verse 47 and 48, we, we read there that Jesus said, For this reason I say to you, talking to the Simon, um, her sins who are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And, uh, and, and, the, and the, uh, the Pharisee said, and he, or Jesus said, he said to her, Your sins have, he said this to the woman, sorry. He says to the Pharisee that, you know, she loved me. And then in verse 48, he says to the woman, your sins have been forgiven. And can I say that true worshippers have an assurance of their forgiveness? They don't go through life wondering, I wonder if I'm saved when they slip up or when they make a mistake or they do sin. Because let's face it, if it wasn't for the grace of God, where would we be? You know, None of us are perfect. But a worshipper has an assurance that I'm saved and they don't have to worry about their salvation. I know I am forgiven. The next thing a worshipper experiences in verse 50 here is that again Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. What an amazing thing, eh? The peace of God. True worshippers don't worry about life. True worshippers aren't constantly worrying about their finances or worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow, or worrying about what's happening in the world. A true worshipper has the peace of God at work in their life. And then there's one last thing, but it's not really here in, in this reading. And that is this, and I want you to think about it, is that this scene, we see this woman comes in, she opens her perfume, she pours it all over Jesus' feet, she's massaging it in, she's she, all, all over him, massaging, she's wiping her, the hair. She would have walked out of that building 
with the smell, the fragrance of Jesus on her life. She would have smelt the same as Jesus smelt because Jesus would have walked out of that building with that aroma on him that was in the alabaster vial of perfume. So he would have walked out with that aroma and she would have walked out with that aroma as well. And you know something? People who are true worshippers carry the aroma of Christ on their life. You can tell they look like people and smell like people who have been with Jesus. That's what happens with true worshippers, which is a pretty exciting thing really. My last scripture is this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, verses 14 and 15. God helps us spread the knowledge about Christ everywhere and this knowledge is like the smell of perfume. In fact, God thinks of us as a perfume that brings Christ to everyone. For people who are being saved, this perfume has a sweet smell and leads them to a better life. True worship enables us to bring the life of Christ to others. What a great thing to be a worshipper. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning, that God, that you take these words and, Lord, that you would use them, God, to touch our heart. Uh, Lord, help us, God, to grow through the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word this morning. Help us, Lord, to grow and help us, Lord, to move forward to be the people that you call us to be. And, Lord, we pray here this morning that your Holy Spirit would help us to be people of worship. Help us, Lord, to be found by you to be worshippers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As the musicians come, we're going to sing that song again. But look, can I just ask you right now, can I ask you just to bow your heads, if you would. Let's all bow our heads. And I want to pray for you one more time, and then we'll finish up. I'd like you to bow your head, and I'd like to close your eyes. Now, we've talked this morning about the topic of worship. Worshipping God who is a very real person who loves every one of you very, very much. Uh, he died for you on the cross at Calvary. He loves you that much. doesn't matter where you're at. doesn't matter what kind of lifestyle you're living. He loves you very, very much. And he died for you. The Bible says that God the Father sent Jesus into the world to take upon himself our sin so as that we could live a life that is pleasing to him, that could, we could be worshippers, that we could live out a blessed life. And I don't know everybody here this morning, but I believe the Holy Spirit's saying to me is that there are people here and you know in your heart of hearts that you are not right with God, that you haven't prayed, that you've never actually asked Christ to be in your life as your Saviour, and that if you die today, you wouldn't have that confidence or an assurity of where you would go. And so this morning, I want to conclude just in a, in, a, in a general prayer of asking God to touch our lives. And if you're here this morning and you know that you're not right with God, you know that you've never ever asked Jesus to be your Lord and Saviour, or maybe you have, but you've walked away from that decision and you're living a life that's not pleasing to Him, how about while every head's bowed, while every eye's closed, and while just in this moment of privacy, how about you raise your hand right now and say, look, I want to get right with God. I want to get it right. I want to live my life for Jesus. I want to get it right. Can you do that right now? I'm not going to pull you out the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I simply want to include you in a closing prayer. So quickly, would you raise your hand right now? Maybe you've drifted away from God. And you know it's time for you to come back. Would you raise your hand? Say, yes, I want to be a part of this prayer. Thank you so much. 
Thank you. Thank you, sir, down the back there. Thank you. A couple of people already. Quickly, just as we finish our service this morning, come on, get it right with God. Make a decision today that can move you forward in your life to a blessed life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you, God, for everybody here right now. Can we all just pray this prayer together just when we're going to finish? Dear Lord Jesus, how about we all pray it out loud? Dear Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning. And I want the two people who raise your hand right now just to really sincerely pray this prayer that I believe God will do something in your life. I come to you this morning and I ask you to come into my life, to change me, to heal me, give me hope and give me a way that is pleasing to you. Forgive me, Lord, for the mistakes I've made. Forgive me for my sin and help me for a brand new start. Be my Lord and be my Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. When the music fades, all is stripped away. And I simply